Hey, welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the working photographer. I'm Tyler Stallman. And I'm Cameron Whitman. You sure are. I am. And you sure are, Tyler. <laughs> How are you? Oh, I'm really good. It's been a long week, huh? Oh, yeah. It's been a long... I don't know how long it's been. We're not really hitting the weekly schedule, but that's okay because we space them out in a way that you can't tell how long it's been. Yeah. <laughs> we're um, trying our yeah. best. <laughs> but there's... Uh, I mean, that's good because it means we're uh, we're busy. Lots to do. Yeah. Working. Yeah. One of the things that got me thinking about is... A major part of the time that goes into any project is selecting the photos afterwards. It's insanely important part of what comes out of a shoot and what your work ends up looking like. And I think a really, I mean, it's not talked about enough, I don't think. If you search for uh, Lightroom tutorials, most of them are going to be processing tips or right. workflow tips. Mm-hmm. But I don't see many resources about like, how do you choose which photos come out of your shoot? And it's, it might be the most important thing. If you didn't process your photos, but were choosing them correctly, you would have a better portfolio. Like it is more important to choose the best photos than to um, have great processing technique. Yeah. I think that it's the next most important thing. Like I I think that um, processing obviously is, is, is a key ingredient in your final product. But if you're not putting the best things forward and um, and understanding the context of the the job, you know mm-hmm. some jobs require really tight edits, like five five images from maybe you shot five hundred, and some jobs take you know require extremely tight edits. And others, you know, like a wedding, my take on it is that you want to obviously create a highlight reel that has the best edits or the tightest edit, but also there's a lot of moments in there that might not be the award-winning photo, but that might mean something to that person that was at that wedding. Well, and that's a lot of it is editing for the job that you're working on, right? Exactly. It's not always just choosing your personal favorites or, um, you know, maybe looking past the elements of the image that are really important to you Mm -hmm. personally and seeing what the client's going to want. That's right. You have to, you really have to take your, you know, if you're working for a client, you really have to take your, your own personal feelings out of the equation as much mm-hmm. as possible and think of them yeah. because it's not about you at that point. Totally. In, in our situation, I gotta, I've got to say that actually uh, for a lot of the work we do, Anya does most of the image selection. So mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't, maybe she's sitting right across from me, but I didn't set up a microphone for her. But she <laughs> um, probably has more to say about this than I do because um, it's, it's a lot of how we kind of divide our, our post-processing work. Um, so I just, in, in the context of our stuff, I want to make sure I'm not uh, stealing. Yeah, because it's no <laughs> small credit. job, right? I totally. Mean, it's, and, it's, a, it's a massive part. So. Well, and having her look at the stuff that we shoot totally changed the way that, like the things that you can look for in an image. When I started working with someone else, my mind was opened up to what your priorities should be. Um, mm-hmm. Like um, the, the things I hadn't thought about were just the amount of tension that you need to pay to like the overall body form. I mean, things like foreshortening mm-hmm. when somebody's arm is leaning into the camera as opposed to, so say, say somebody's got their hand on their head. This is like the most common thing. And sure. Uh, and so their elbow is sticking out, right? Mm-hmm. If the elbow sticks into the lens, it's an enormous elbow. Yeah. And, and it's small head. There are, yeah. It's smaller head, giant muscles potentially. And yeah. it may or may not be what you are aiming for in your photo. And I, you know, before I had kind of looked, I wouldn't have focused on that as much as like the expression, maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm really all about the looking at people's faces. And sometimes I'm blind to other things in the photo because that's... Because of that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's where I go to right away. And I think that's really important. I do think the expressions are extremely important. But it's, um, it's useful to think to realize that you might be blind to some other parts of the photo i think every, we all Absolutely. have blind spots to it well it's it's uh it's learned behavior so until until somebody actually tells you that the issue exists if you haven't noticed it on your own you would never notice it at all yeah until somebody actually tells you that there's a problem with it and explains why and how again this goes back to the client being the important factor mm-hmm. and uh you know understanding what their needs are and having a mind for that when you're editing and, and taking yourself out of the equation. Let's maybe go through some examples of how you would, 
how you would make those decisions in different scenarios. You mentioned before we started recording that you've got a batch of photos in front of you. What are you working on? A recent wedding that I shot, and I am taking my time <laughs> editing it because for the exact reasons that we just talked about. I don't know if there's a way to edit a wedding without taking your time. It just yeah, takes no. so much time. And it does. And I think that it's really important that you deliver your images in a way that, that they actually have an impact on your client. Mm-hmm. If it's something really important like a wedding, um, obviously I think that you're going to have a lot of photos to choose from. If you're like me, you're going to shoot like mad and try to get every possible interaction and expression you know, combination that you can. And so it's really difficult because you have to decide between out of the three similar shots of every scene that you shot – you know, which one is going to have the best impact on your client. Oh, for sure. Do you start with how many photos do you often shoot in a wedding? How many do you have in the set? Um, In this set, uh, when I first bumped them off the cards, I think there was uh, about 2,500 photos. Okay. And then how many do you deliver? So I've, or, you know what, I have to to look and see how many I've, I've already, I started delivering sections. So I kind of like to, um, rather than deliver the whole thing all at once, I'd like to kind of tease my client. Do you make a promise ahead of time, though? Do you have an amount that you assure them you'll deliver? No, because I don't think that the amount is nearly as important as equality. I'm not going to stick to an amount of photos just because, you know, we said. (laughs) I I I guess that some people probably promise like a minimum of 1,500 photos or something like that, you know, but I I don't think that that's really the best way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, I found that clients have, they'll have some kind of expectation because when they were shopping around for photographers, they had already had some discussions about what uh, their friends had gotten from other photographers or to them, they might already have an expectation of what a minimum amount is. But w- when you say right. 1500, that's more than, that's more than we ever actually deliver. Um, oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot. So, so far in this wedding, I've delivered, um, 800 photos. And how many more do you see coming? Um, probably another 200 or so. Okay. Yeah. We just delivered a wedding actually yesterday, I guess. And, mm-hmm. um, I think we had 900 and we also, I think shoot quite a bit more than you. We shoot uh, maybe because there's two of us, which, mm-hmm. you know, so we basically shot twice as many photos, I guess. I think, yeah. I think we had about 6,000. But th- so the way that you shoot also determines how you need to edit as well, because if you're shooting on burst mode, which is just part of the way I shoot, it means for every one photo, you might have 10 identical photos that re- like really don't have an important difference except for um, the amount people are blinking, the amount they're smiling, right. things like that. Or if whichever one is sharp, is, exactly is often the, the combination of these factors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the things I'm looking for, and um, yeah, actually with weddings, I usually do end up editing those, so I can speak to that a bit more. And um, yeah, I I find it really like an interesting experience. That's when you really have to put yourself aside because you're delivering so many photos, which means you're necessarily delivering some pretty boring, uninspiring. Uh, photographic art, right? There's going to be a ton of party photos at the end where people mm-hmm. are just, you know, like laughing and sloshing beer around. But yeah. um, it may not be something you would choose for your portfolio, but you know that it's important to the client, right? It's it's their friends, right. their family. And, um, and so often towards the end of the night, uh, I'll find there's a lot more variety. So I'll add a lot more of those reception photos of people Mm -hmm. just kind of partying and like mingling and different groups of people and try to make sure I cover as many people that attended as possible. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really the key when you're editing is to make sure that like before you, um, delete anything, make sure that you have an alternative photo of whoever the person is that you're deleting (laughs) right? before you just, you know, make them disappear from the wedding altogether. Yeah. We almost delivered one without any photos of the cake a little while ago. There was, uh, it just, you know, it just, the, the, we'd skipped over them like, oh, this cake photo is no good. This one's no good. And then we get to the end and, and it took a while before we realized we had, that meant we had none. So we killed all the cake. photos. Yeah. <laughs> what were we thinking? Yeah, so I haven't made that mistake since, but whereas earlier in the day when it's just the couple, like portraits, there's way less photos. We'll shoot maybe just as many. There's tons that we take, but then I really like to just choose the best ones because I hate to see later on a couple post 
three or four almost identical photos that we took and put our names on it. Absolutely. I, yeah. I feel like I kind of need to pre-edit for them. Like, look, you only need one close-up in this lighting situation. You only need one version of each thing because some people will just throw the whole batch on Facebook and that always drives me crazy. Right. Well, okay, so let's let's uh, shift this to a different job. Um, let's say uh, you're doing, you do a head, headshot session. In an average headshot headshot session, depending on the client and how you know what their specific needs are and how many wardrobe changes and whatever, mm-hmm. um, I try to keep it you know to about a hundred photos if I can. And if I cannot, then if there's a lot of wardrobe changes, I've certainly so had. You shoot a hundred photos. Yes. Okay. You don't shoot deliver a hundred photos. Oh no way. <laughs> okay. Good. No. So okay. Thank you for the clarification. So I'll, I might shoot a hundred photos. That, that's kind of what I aim for because I don't see the necessity in just shooting the same shot over and over and over again. It's like figure it out before you take the shot, then make the shots and make them count. There's going to be less variety anyway. If oh yeah, absolutely. In a headshot session, for sure. So uh, just depending on how many outfit changes there, you know, there have been times that it's been up to three hundred. Um, but even in those cases, the last thing that I want to do, and I think I learned this the hard way, <laughs> exactly in, in, in what you were talking about with something being shared that later was embarrassing to me. Yeah, of course. Um, cause they, I mean, they haven't gone through this training. They haven't learned the hard way, the, uh, the right. customer, you know? Exactly. And, and you know, uh, so you have to consider, well, what would I really not want anybody to see? <laughs> um, so you should edit those out. <laughs> as much as possible. So when I, you know, when I do a headshot session, I, I try to give them somewhere between 20 and 30 images to choose from. And right. even in that, depending on the style of headshot session, I try to go less if I can. Do you just choose them and deliver all of them processed or do you offer them no. proofs and then further process the finals? That's right. Yeah, that's what we do yeah. as well. Yeah. So I let them choose between from the edit that I originally made and then I'll go and do any retouching that is required. Yeah, a rule of thumb we have is to not deliver anything that we wouldn't want published because inevitably they'll choose the one that you thought was the weakest. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it seems feels like to happen all the time. Yeah. So if you're if you feel a little bit less sure about something that you're delivering, take it out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the only reason you know the only time that you shouldn't do that is if you have the experience with that client, you know that they tend to ask for the outtakes. Yeah. You know, make sure you don't delete them just in case there's something that they really need. But. Well, and that's another thing is that during that uh, elimination process, I try not to delete too much of the junk until the project is done. Because I've found that I've needed to pull Photoshop elements from outtake photos right. to fix the best photo. Right. So uh, I don't know what's a common example. Like maybe if their hair fell in front of their face, and I just need a, an image with a clean forehead. That's really hard to reconstruct just to clone it out in Photoshop. It's much easier if I can go back to photos when they might've been blinking, but the forehead's clean, for example, yeah. um, or group photos pulling together the ones where people are smiling. So if I've gone <laughs> through and deleted all the crap, I may not have enough B roll images to pull from to kind of fix those mistakes. Yeah, that's that's really important consideration. And I, I think that that also, I mean, it depends on what the job is. So if you're shooting events, like it's a lot less likely that you're going to have to make a change like that. Yeah, you just don't you don't spend as long processing the final image either. So. Right. Yeah. What do you do for to drift into processing a bit for for weddings? How do you deal with that? Do you open any of them in Photoshop? Do you just uh, batch them all in Lightroom? How do you? Um, so I think I batch most of them. If I just start from the beginning, I actually, as I'm importing, I select the preset that I want based on how I envisioned it, or at least I try to. Because mm-hmm. um, it's like, it. I, I just personally, I think that having a vision for your outcome in the outset of your shoot is really important. It's a part of how you shot and styled it in your mind while you were shooting. So why not have that be a part of your final edit? Mm-hmm. So I'd rather see them first. And this is something I picked up from Kirk Maston. I'm not going to say that I figured it out on my own. <laughs> um, he mentioned that, that, uh, that, or was it you? Was it you or Kirk? I don't know. <laughs> no, let's find out. Tell, tell me what it was. Um, that you just select a preset upon um, importing. So that the first time oh, you see yeah. them, they already have a preset. Yeah, there's them. something we talked about, and maybe Kirk said he does it. I said that I 
did that for a while. Like I have like six months worth of photos that I did that to. Mm-hmm. And then my taste changed and I went back and looked at all these photos. I'm like, ugh, like what was it? This is not the filter <laughs> yeah, I wanted. That's, that's definitely a downside. Yeah. And I think it also makes you blind to what the filter is doing. If you never mm-hmm. see the original, then I, I found I, I always wanted to crank it up just a little more, you know, I'd, I'd fade the blacks a little more and like turn up the contrast. Cause you become desensitized to how strong the filter already is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really prefer to see it clean and, then add the filter so I know what's happening. But it sounds like you're saying do you do the opposite? Well, it's, it depends on the job. So if it's for um, a wedding or an event, I generally, there's only a couple presets that I ever use for those things. Mm-hmm. I know which ones that I like, and, and I want them to be consistent. And so um, I have no problem going ahead and importing them with the preset already on. And then, of course, there's a ton of changes that are going to need to be made. Of course. Um, I don't think I ever deliver an image without making some tweak on it. Yeah. And I think at this point I probably could safely do that with say, um, Maston labs that's mm-hmm. on most weddings. Now it's just the Fuji 400 H on everything. Um, I, yep. and then the Ilford on black and white and that's it. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just, it's so good. It really is. Um, it's interesting though, because I do also like the, um, Portra 400 Maston labs. I think that that one is is also pretty nice. But yeah, I find that the great. the Fuji one just works a little bit better for me. Yeah. Um, although I do always have to tweak the greens. See, I like the Fuji more because I like where it pushes the greens and blues a little more. It, it mm-hmm. well it takes the blues more green, and um, I guess maybe I can just see the the effect a little more. I find the portrait is a bit more neutral. Mm-hmm. I see it less. I see the effect less, whereas I can see the Fuji more. And I, don't know, I just kind of like that. But I think that's very much just a taste thing. Yeah, it is a taste thing, absolutely. Yeah, I guess if you know your your client <laughs> well mm-hmm. enough and you know their tastes, then uh, then that's good as well. But yeah, uh, otherwise, it's, you're just kind of going with your own on that one and hoping for the best. Um, but yeah, so um, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I already forget. Um, I was working on a portrait session though yesterday mm-hmm. and I know what I did is, and th- this might be interesting to somebody out there, um, is the process that I use the rating system. I, I guess I discussed this before, but stolen from the damn book, which is my definitive resource for your Bible workflow management. Yeah. It's uh, based on its rating system. I basically use one star for everything that could be deliverable. So I go through one time and kind of rate everything based on one star mm-hmm. if I want to keep it. And if I don't want to keep it, then it's rejected. And I, I might throw in a couple two stars there if something just jumps out as obviously being exceptional. But usually yeah. I'll go through one star, clear out the crap, and then go through again and give two stars. So, you know, each time, maybe the first time, like maybe half the photos get one star. That's totally approximate, but... Mm-hmm. Then um, after that, half of that become two stars. And usually I try to have the selections made by three stars. Um, sometimes they need to drift up into four just to kind of make it happen, uh, just to keep it organized. But um, but that's the, the my general method. Yeah, I think there's probably, you know, so many ways that you could go about doing this. Mine's similar, but slightly different. So I, um, as I go through... Like my first pass is I just either hit reject or flag. Right. And so um, flag are the ones that I think I'm going to like the best. And then um, reject is just the ones that I think are pretty obviously not going to make it. And then um, then from there, when I start thinking about like the, win- the ones that I'm going to actually deliver, then I start using the stars. Um, and okay. one star means very likely. And then I'll, you know, go through and, and, uh, you know, the thing is, is I'm not consistent. I'm just going to admit it. <laughs> I'm not consistent about this. So sometimes I'll start with like three stars and then like start removing stars for ones that are not as nice. And then other times I forget that that worked nicely for me. And I start back over with one star and then trying to figure it out from there. It's good to have a, a system, but it gets difficult sometimes. Do you keep the flags afterwards? No, sometimes, well, it depends on, on what the job is, but like for something like an event or wedding, the reason I'm flagging them is because I'm trying to pick out which ones I might put on a highlight reel. 
and I need I need to be able to easily and quickly. Wait, wait, you're using your flags for that? Yeah, I thought you were flagging everything that was good. Well, I'm flagging everything that is good on the first pass. Okay. So those are the ones that made that had a first impression on me. So um, you know, it's likely that later on down the road, like usually when I'm, uh, if it's a job where, like, let's for headshots or something like that, you know, like usually the ones that that I give. You know, five stars are the ones that I'm going to put uh, a final retouch edit on. And then that's going to be the one that's delivered. So I'm not always very consistent about it, but it works for me. Because, <laughs> well, what I always wish that I did is use some kind of system that actually scaled for like multiple years. I think I've talked about that. I've acted like that's what I do, but in practice, it's really hard. The yeah. The advice of the damn book is to keep um, your five stars reserved for things that will be portfolio pieces which i think is a great idea because then you can go back in time it is really but it's so hard it is a great idea but the reason that that doesn't work for me is because i'm constantly changing my mind about how i feel about these things and so like whenever okay so uh good news first of all as i just throw a little caveat in the story we are we've started building a website yeah it's coming believe it or not it's coming my wife is on it what are you building it on and uh, Squarespace. Nice. Anyway, um, now we're discussing what to put on it. And that's the thing is that like I have in the past used five stars to denote the ones that I want to use as portfolio pieces. But then like when I go back and look at them, I'm like, you know, I don't even like that image. Yeah. Like yeah, that's not maybe. the one I like. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could see the theory in that. But for somebody like me that, that constantly changes their mind about how they feel about their work. It just doesn't work for me as well. Yeah, I think in practice, when it's time to update portfolio, I'm probably going to just create a new collection called portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> and throw everything in there. Um, and the, it, it'll be faster because I can look at five stars or, uh, I mean, a really quick way for us as well is that um, everything that's been processed in Photoshop is named dash edit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. usually, usually anything that was really important or exceptional probably was hit Photoshop at least a little bit. And so that's usually a pretty reliable way to, to see it. I can also look for PSDs. That can be helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I basically I'll, t- I'll try to track down everything that's ever been heavily processed. Do you edit in PSD or do you edit in TIFF? Uh, PSD. Oh. Why? I mean, I know that Lightroom defaults to TIFF, but I always switch that immediately. Oh, wow. And why do you, why do you change it? Well, because there is no important difference for one thing that I understand if somebody knows otherwise, then they can tell me. Um, but it, it, to me, I can more quickly identify what is a Photoshop file. Okay. Like, um, but they're both, they're both lossless files. Yeah. So either way, it'll work. Are, uh, PSDs larger or smaller than TIFFs? Do you know? I don't know that actually. I, yeah, I think I was making assumptions that the, uh, PSD, that uh, TIFFs were larger, but, you have absolutely no idea. You know, it, part of it's just seeing something you recognize as well. Like I see a PSD and I associate that as going to open in Photoshop. I know what that means. I know what's going to happen. Um, so uh, that's what I keep doing. But Sure. Okay. I have no good reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I don't know. Where are we? We've uh, We've talked about portrait sessions. Do you keep your mediocre photos for portrait sessions? Do you keep your crappy photos from a wedding? Like, do you, do you hold on to them? No way. No, I don't like clutter. Yeah. And so, um, anything that, that I just gives me a negative reaction, I try to think of all the variables in that split second, mm-hmm. <laughs> but usually like anything that gives me a negative reaction, I just go ahead and give it an X yeah. Yeah, and move point. on. Um, especially from something like an event or a wedding or something where there's just so much going on. The the exceptions are like if I realize that, okay, I haven't seen this person yet, so I'm not going to reject this image yet, even if I think that it's not a terribly flattering picture of that person. I want to make sure that there are some other options with that person in it before I reject it. Right. But if I already know that that I took a lot of photos of, of a particular person in a particular scene or whatever, then like anything that gives me... A negative reaction. I'm just going to go ahead and get rid of it, so I don't have to relive that moment. <laughs> well, that kind of gives us an idea what you look for in a wedding photo. But what do you look for in a portrait photo, other than you know not blinking? What do I look for in a portrait photo? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm looking at a bunch right in front of me here. I've got this is already narrowed down. I have 200 uh-huh. photos left, and I know there's, there's almost a thousand photos in the shoot. 
And I don't know, there's batches where like four or five in a row are, if you blur your eyes, they're identical. The hand is in the same position. The hair is the same shape. They're at the same level of zoom. And the the differences are really quite subtle. Um, Like how do you kind of make those really important, subtle decisions? Like what goes through your mind while you're choosing? Well, I think that that my first pass uh, when looking through a, a portrait session is is looking for you know the expressions that work or don't work because I think that that's probably the, the the quickest thing to read right when you're looking through and um, after you know when I go through a second or third pass you know and it starts to narrow it down to the ones that I like the best I tend to you know because in in those cases I think that a lot of the expressions are going to be similar because you 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 decided like which angle really worked for that for that person. Well, and and that's to me the hardest pass, like the second one, because oh, absolutely. there's less photos, but all of a sudden they're all pretty good. Yeah, they're they're extremely similar. So the things that I start to look for at that stage are um, body posture and, and or like. Uh, you know, say like if if the lapel is, you know, like if a man's wearing a jacket and the lapel's sticking out in a weird way, something like that, you know, or, or if the, the collar looks mm. folded in a weird way and you, you know, uh, just those little nitpicky things. If if they have long hair, like, you know, which which one of these is going to is gonna cause me the most problems <laughs> if I have to edit it? Well, well, there's things that I see, things that I notice a lot, um, the difference between people that are comfortable in front of the camera mm-hmm. or it's maybe their first time, um, that people that are nervous will often just hold an expression for oh, totally. a minute. They'll just keep staring. <laughs> if you let yeah, them, they, they turn to concrete. Yeah. yeah. And it, it takes so little to give variety. You know, they don't have to be smiling and then frowning and then smiling and then turning and shifting all over the seat. Like they can, they can sit in one place and keep their head in the same position and really go through a lot of ranges just by squinting their eyes a little bit more or smiling it's a little bit less or like the smallest changes can completely um, re- re- send a, a new message to the viewer. Oh, absolutely. That That's something that if they're not comfortable doing it themselves, they don't know to do it. You really have to work it out of them. It takes, yes, you do. It takes effort. Well, that's an interesting topic right there. What are some of your techniques? I find that if they're nervous, I try to keep the pressure as low as possible and just ask them to just like keep moving, keep making really small changes and even offer changes that if you don't see something that's obvious, sometimes it's obvious, like, okay, you just need to lift your chin because it will elongate your neck or whatever. Sometimes it's clear that they need to make this one change, but often it's not. Often you just need them to not be the same as they were two seconds ago. Um, (laughs) So I'll throw out advice that isn't important. Like it's not important that they turn their head to the left. I just want them to be a little different than they were a second ago. So I'll say, can you move your head to the left a little bit? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, can you squint a little more or that's really great. Can you do that a little brighter or happier or something? I find some advice is often better than just letting them flounder. And I, I find that for myself as well. If somebody's taking my photo, I really want them to keep moving forward with me and like, don't let me just sit there staring, waiting for hopefully a good photo to come up. Yeah. Cause waiting for it is generally not what happens in a portrait session. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it really, um, it's so different when you're working with professionals though. Like when it's somebody's job to sit in front of a camera, it's just such a different scenario because they hopefully will be bringing something to the table. That's why they're there. And that's why you're paying them. And mm-hmm. I often find that in those cases, the less said, the better. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, cause I also can, you can get in their way by trying to over direct if, if they really understand their angles better than you do. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I love that actually. I feel like it's a, it's a luxury. I guess you get to experience it a lot more than I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it really helps. But yeah. so yeah, I have that feeling looking through a portrait session with normal people uh, a lot more where I'm like, X, 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 because all those photos are identical. There is no important difference between them because mm-hmm. I just can keep the person moving. I really like to encourage them to, to, to take the initiative too. Like I, I try to say that I, you know, I'm not looking for any one right photo. Like there isn't a right answer here. A lot of these will be deleted. So don't be afraid to do something like move in a way that doesn't necessarily feel right. But then after you try it, forget about it and, and move another way. And we're going to just keep going and going and going because these subtle differences can uh, completely change the mood of and tone of the final image. So, so when somebody is getting stiff, what do you do then? 
that would came out weird. Um, then I call the shoot off. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm sorry. We have to. We have to end now. <laughs> this podcast is over. <laughs> um, yeah, if somebody's uh, kind of frozen, I, I jingle my keys in front of them and um, <laughs> like the red cat. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> it, it can be really tough it can, like, when people are are nervous and they um, just really lock up like that. It can be a really hard moment to get through, and I think is. A, a, a time for a photographer to really prove their worth, to turn an awkward, tense shoot into something that looks comfortable and looks like the person had confidence in the end. That's right. It's difficult. The thing that, that I do that really helps is, um, you know, once I figured out the angle and the posture that I'm happy with, that's mm-hmm. where I start to worry about their expression. For me, it's, it's always a process. I mean, and I'm talking about specifically about creating headshots. Yeah. Because it's terribly important for them, right? That, yeah. that, that they get something that's not only flattering, but that speaks to all the things that are important to them as, as a professional or actor or whatever it is they're, they're doing. And in a lot of cases, this might represent them for the next 10 years. Like people use these headshots for a long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to get as much mileage out of it as they possibly can, for yeah. sure. So, yeah, it's really important that you, you do capture them in their best light. So um, what I try to do is... Um, you know, it's a process for me. So I figure out which side is the good side and the bad side. You know, and uh, you know, I don't know about how you do that, but I, I look at the eyes and figure out which one's the big one, which one's not. You know, so they don't look weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, and, what, uh, and then, what do you do once you like once you figure out which is the big one? For then, I you know, I, I pose them so so that the big one is further behind the small one, mm-hmm. so it doesn't look like they've got a bulging eye. Yeah. But sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes, you know, the, the uh, symmetry of the face doesn't really, it just doesn't line up in the, in the right way. And you have to just figure it out and use that side anyway. And Photoshop different eyes from different photos until... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try to avoid that as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> that's, but that's I, a miserable, I've been there. Yeah, it's a miserable solution. But yeah, it does happen. Um and then from there, you know, once I figured out which side I like and, and how their hair is going to work out in the best way with the way I'm lighting it, uh, then it's all about their body posture and making sure that they're standing or sitting in a way that, that reflects comfort. Because I feel like whatever kind of discomfort they're feeling, even if it's in their toes, you're going to see it in their eyes or in their face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems really important that they have a posture that's relaxed, confident, and composed. Um, when they're standing there and they're just letting their arms sag, you can feel the weight on the shoulders, and it's really unattractive. I'll, I'll try to get them into a posture that works, and then I start working on their face. So, like, during all that time, you know, I'm generally not giving any, any advice about what their face is doing. You know, I'm just taking pictures and, and sizing them up, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then when I get to that point, you know, I'll just start asking them calmly, just ask for a smile or, you know, do this and that. And I like to compliment people as I'm going. Um, yeah, that's a nice smile, you know, stuff like that. Just really calm and, and easy. Don't get weird. Don't I get think creepy. it's really important though, to give feedback. Cause I've watched other people shoot like this would happen at stock photo events. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you get a chance to see a lot of photographers all shooting at once. And a common thing I'd see with less experienced photographers is that they would um, just let the model hang yeah. And they're like, no, no, no. Like what you're doing is fine. Just, just keep going. And the model's like, are you sure? Like, do you want me to, is there anything you want me to do? No, no, no. Just do what you're doing. Uh, everything, anything's good. Everything's good. And it's so awkward to be in that position because I've had people t- talk to me that way as well when they're taking my photo. And it's just like, I have no idea what you want from me right now. And so I, I really think that any feedback is good feedback and also primarily positive feedback. Like if something's not working, just take a few photos and pretend it worked and then change. Um, I don't think that there's a whole lot to be gained by telling them no, 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 that didn't, that's no good. That's not working for me. We got to do something else. It's a disaster if you do that. (laughs) And, and I've, I've heard it and it just kills, it kills the mood. (laughs) Oh yeah. There's no way to bounce back. You know, it's it's like, I feel like a dummy now it's not working fake it and then you know eventually hopefully you'll you'll figure out whatever the the mystery is with that person yeah. but never tell them i mean oh my god <laughs> no please don't god that's like the worst but so after you know after i have everything else figured out and i'm down to figuring out like what their face is capable of 
um, then, you know, like it, it, sometimes you just get lucky. Some people just smile naturally and, and like they mean it and like the, the eyes show it and the mouth shows it. And so, you know, you don't have to do, to do a lot of work on that. I gradually um, started using the word smize a lot more often. Um, smize? <laughs> yeah, because you know what? Like it meant nothing to me for a long time because I thought it was just a Tyra Banks thing. And then, I don't know, I like realized what it means like i got i got it i'm like oh yeah that actually that's a real thing and can make a big difference um the way that like peter hurley talks about it i don't know if you've watched any of his stuff but uh he makes up his own words for it and calls it squinching um (laughs) and you know it's it's basically like it's it's a, a kind of squint but that um, doesn't look like the sun is in your face. It's the same squint that happens with a smile. And it's, you know, the top of your cheeks move up, your bottom lids move up a bit. Um, and uh, I, I think in- encouraging a little bit of that can be really helpful. It's hard for people to, to really know what you mean. Like it's, I think it's a very hard thing to describe sometimes. Mm-hmm. But compared to people being just, you know, like the, the deer in the headlights look that you'll often get without any tips... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely find that asking people to soften their eyes or, or, or like just let them close a little can, um, add some confidence that they may not be feeling at that moment. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that, that I find to be most effective is that like, if I see that people are holding smiles too long, oh, yeah. you know, then, then I'll just, I'll, uh, I'll tell them to, to close their eyes and to take a deep breath. And then, you know, like, then, you know, I'll say, okay, exhale, you know, and I'll just leave them hanging there for a minute and maybe even to a point where it's a little bit awkward. <laughs> yeah, well, then that's and, the best because then they start laughing. Well, yeah. And then you go like, all right, smile, you know, and they open their eyes and they, it's a yeah. legitimate smile almost every time, you know, because like it just in, in the first shot might be a little bit like too ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at, you know, usually I'll, I'll take a succession of shots and, and one of one or two of those is usually going to end up being really really nice so what do you do what what do we do when we're um, going through stock photos oh stock photos are so different mm-hmm. so different hmm what are you looking for <laughs> i mean yeah, obviously it can be it can be anything right like this could be you could have a happy or sad stock photo shoot you can have people in it or not um yeah i think that like okay so i guess we're still just going to talk about people right because i guess so yeah that's really the the context. So, um, with stock photos, I think it's you know really critically important that, and especially these days when you know every other day there's a new video or something that's making fun of stock photos, rightfully so. Um, I don't know if you saw that one that was in our, in the Stocksy forums today, but sorry for the people who are not <laughs> able to see that. <laughs> no, um, I didn't see that. But. Uh, but it's it's hysterical, you know, because it's it's on the money, you know. That well, and for anybody that doesn't hasn't listened to the show before, when we're talking about stock photos, we're talking about stocksy stock photos, not um, traditional stock photos. Meaning a lot more authentic, like with the goal being, you know, real real photography that just happens to be licensed as stock. That's mm-hmm. that's what we like. That's what we aim for. Yeah, genuine, authentic moments as opposed to ones that are contrived and set up. Um, unfortunately, there are, you know, some some moments are impossible to catch in an authentic manner, and so you have to contrive it, mm-hmm. you know. There's just no other way around like it. Like a handshake. So, <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and there are ways about doing that, that that work better than others. And that's a completely different episode, I think. So... Um, but when, when, you know, editing for stock photos, expressions on people are absolutely critical, you know, cause, um, the, the most minute little differences in, in a person's expression read in such loud ways that, uh, it can make it, make or break a, a photo instantly. Um, well, in, so that's, in, in, that's in the end, the it can almost be a blend of the way that you choose wedding photos and portrait photos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a way, it's uh, it can often be like an event because the person might be going through a series of steps, right? Like maybe they're cooking, maybe they're uh, going for a walk, whatever. But like more than one thing happens, and you need to cover this range of activities. That's right. Um, where, but, but uh, you are basically just looking for the best of each section, right? So if you're hanging out around the house for the first few photos, you're looking for the best house photo, and then you move on to the best stepping out the door photo. 
and you know it's a series of like the best of the this group of moments but you probably have a selection of each group right because basically i mean if you have a stock series you're probably submitting you know some kind of a, a storyline and then you know like uh as you're editing that storyline you have to make sure that the, that the narrative is clear you know and, and works together and or you you include a bunch of options of that narrative that might seem realistic or usable to the end client. Um, unfortunately, this is where a lot of people take a you know pretty nasty turn. <laughs> yeah, and, in a way, uh, it's almost like editing a, a video. Like it's almost like because you're you're usually t- you want to have told a story by the end. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, um, you're trying to communicate. Yeah. So and, you know. and often the people buying stock photos need the like the, you know they need the point A, point B, and point C to tell their whole narrative as well. Like it's, it's not uncommon that they'll be purchased together as well. Right. And then there's the hero image, you know, um, having that one shot that, that tells the, the, you know, the, the, the largest part of the story that, that, that will end up mattering in that series. Do you feel it's like you know what the hero is going to be before it happens? Cause I always feel like I can't predict it all. No, I mean, I don't think that anybody can ever predict it perfectly. I think that um, you can. I think that you know we can come close, and um, you know, I think that's a lot of what curation is about. Um, in in terms of Stocksy, at least, I think that. Um, but I, I find it much easier actually to do that for other people's photos than my own. You oh, know? there's no question; it's easier. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, even you know, at, within the context of Stocksy, like none of the editors edit their own work. You know. Mm-hmm. Like we upload, and then another editor has to has to decide which ones uh, make the cut because it's it's really difficult. It's extremely difficult, but it's it's also very very important because uh, you know you're dealing with other people's time and patience. So if you can't figure out how to edit your work down to the greatest, you know, to to where it's really acceptable, then you're causing other people a lot of strain, and that's um, in the context of stock and or your clients. Um, for whatever, you know, like I've, I've had a client tell me before, like, this is, I just, I can't make a choice. This is ridiculous. You need to, you need to give me a, a smaller selection. And so, you so know, they need you to just do more of the editing work for them. Exactly. And you know, like that, that is very reasonable in my opinion, because you know, when you flip the scales and you're the person that's, that's looking through, you know, a thousand images trying to find one that you need. You know that's that's a miserable thing to do. Yeah. Um, if you're a, a, a you know a designer or a person that buys stock photos, like when you're looking for a specific photo and you know exactly what you want, and you're having to search through ten thousand images to find it, um, you know, hopefully, you know that that stock photo site's going to do a good job of of getting all the irrelevant clutter out of the way because time is money, and and you know you don't want to play with people's patience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's I think a lot of the appeal of Stocksy. I mean, to me, if I if I'm looking for a photo, I'd much rather somebody have put some real work into getting the clutter out of my face. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, because it's the most time consuming thing. Um, you know, this reminds me uh, just to bring it back to film because we always do somehow. This is um, with when shooting film, it you kind of pre edit a lot more as well. Because yeah. I, you know, I find I took less of the photos that weren't going to turn out and waited for the better ones, and I don't need to throw nearly as many away. Absolutely, the truth. So. I find that to be the case with every role, and you know, like I'm trying to figure out whatever it is that's that's happening, the the process that's happening in my brain while I'm shooting film. I'm trying to figure out how to apply that to all of my digital shooting as well, because I really like to save time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, like I like having options as well, and that's a really nice thing. <laughs> um, but having like a bunch of redundant photos to look at and edit is is not my idea of a of a kick ass afternoon. Totally agree. And so totally. the process of, or you know, whatever the thought process is that takes place when you're shooting film, because you're literally thinking like, oh my god, this costs me <laughs> however much, you know, depending on whatever format and you know style you're doing. You know, for instance, I was I did some uh, four by five pro, um, portraits last week, and uh, each shot after you account for the the cost of the film, the cost of the processing, and the cost of the shipping, and the time cost, 
um, is approximately ten to fifteen dollars a shot. That's yeah, a lot. So yeah, that's a lot of money. So you know, you you really don't want to have a bunch of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I know that feeling. But yeah, I've I've never been able to then have that same discipline for digital. I just like I can't trick my mind into thinking isn't, I'm spending fifteen dollars a shot. Isn't that the problem with digital though? Yeah, but is it the problem in the end really? Like it maybe it feels like one and it takes more time to edit them later, but I also know like with portraits, I wouldn't get those subtle expressions if I had that same pressure with film. Cause I'd be afraid to take nearly as many photos. Just the way that I work, if I'd grown up more with film, I probably would have developed habits that allowed me to work better with it. Mm-hmm. But I, my habits are definitely all around digital. So That's really interesting and makes me want to have this conversation with somebody that only shoots film. Mm-hmm. You know, just to see, you yeah. know, like how they, they yeah, feel I mean, about it. And I, I think we, I mean, we know that it's different. Um, it's just, yeah. But I, I, before we run out of time, I wanted to touch on there's been all sorts of little news things and new things coming out. And mm-hmm. I know we're not a new show, but um, <laughs> w- uh, one of them was the new Visco filters. Yeah. Uh, Film Pack 7 came out. Yeah. And interesting. I, I don't know if we're going to cover all of them, but um, we, we both took a look at this one. I don't think we've gone in depth, either of us, on it. Um, but they, uh, I, I feel like they're they're getting very mature with their selections. Anyway, there's some the, from the samples I've seen and the quick tests I did. Mm-hmm. Um, they offer a really nice range of each film set at this point, so that you can really back off on it if you don't want it to be so intense. Whereas I found yeah. earlier on, it it was kind of they hit you over the head with the filters a little bit. In the in the last pack, uh, film six, they had some really nice variations on the four hundred H and the Portra. Yeah, and um, those were those are actually some of my favorites at this point. Like six did a really great job of. Yeah, six is still my my favorite. Yeah, like my... they're a little less subtle than earlier. Like earlier, I'd always refer people to film pack one mm-hmm. because it had the most subtle, um, you know, the least intrusive films like the Porsche 400 and the Fuji 400. And, um, but sometimes you want to just a little bit more. And I find these, this, the 06 pack, this adds a bit of edge to those same looks that I, I really like. Yeah. It's, I don't know if subtle, I don't think he could use subtle, but like, it's, it's not offensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's like a, a definite something different going on, but mm-hmm. it feels good. Yeah. So you know. at this point I turn to, VSEO when I feel like Maston Labs is just, um, it's not punchy enough or it feels, it still feels a little too natural and I want it to look a little more high production, mm-hmm. like a little more magazine gloss. So sometimes I'll, I'll even blend images together. Like I'll, I'll find a filter that I liked from Visco and kind of in Photoshop, take those elements and like blend them blend them in. Yeah. I've also found that there are certain lighting situations, like if you're blending oh, yeah weird light together that the you know whatever it is in in the Maston labs that's changing the colors can sometimes produce some some really awkward looking results yeah like visible lines yeah. between the two colors i i see that in vseo too but i know what you mean and because of that i find vseo much more forgiving yeah <laughs> you, can, you can use it more often without you know risk of something looking kind of weird yeah i find that to be especially true with um things that are shot in the evening the night. Yeah. Darker images, a lot of shadows. Yeah. I think that I just find that, that the VSCO stuff is generally a little more forgiving and allowing me to, to work a little bit quicker. This 07 pack, it's got a lot of older expired film sets. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're really interesting. I'm excited to actually put them to use. I think something from it is going to show up in this uh, last portrait session that I did. So yeah, I haven't quite put my finger on, you know, what it is that I like or dislike about it. Um, I think one of the things that I think is really interesting is seeing the Ektar 25, because I guess that was the original Ektar, right? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, okay. And it doesn't look anything like the current Ektar, no. obviously, because it's not meant to. Yeah, it's not uh, all super contrast. It looks no, it's actually natural. really natural looking. Yeah. And uh, it's just kind of kind of curious, you know. So I'm, I'm anxious to play with them, but I, I feel like with stuff like uh, natural wedding, kind of outdoorsy 
type stuff, these ones probably aren't going to do much for me. Mm-hmm. That's my initial impression. And uh, another announcement you wanted to touch on, but we, we should wait till it comes out to go into any kind of depth, is the new Sigma zoom lens that's f2.0 all the way through the zoom. Mm-hmm. It's full frame. That's the exciting part, because there's already the crop sensor. Uh, what was it? Uh, I don't remember the range, but the 1.8. Like 18 to 35 or something like yeah, that. That's it's a 1.8. Yeah. yeah. And now we've got a 24 to 35 that's a 2.0. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I don't know. It's also really wide though. Is this something it you would is buy? It's super wide. Yeah. Like that's the one thing that I'm like, I'm super anxious to test it out, but I don't know whether or not that's going to really make that much sense to me. Cause no. you know, between 24 and 35, that's a step forward or a step back to me. Yeah. Well, no, but I would think that difference is worth it if it was 35 to 50. Right. That to me, cause those, those are two ranges that I would use all the time. I would love to have either 35 or a 50 being able to like switch that immediately in one lens. That'd be a perfect, well, not perfect. That'd be a wonderful range. It'd be very useful. You know, you can go from wide to, uh, to almost a portrait lens. Whereas 24 to 35 to me is just like ultra wide to wide, which I'm sure there's somebody that that is incredibly useful for, but it's not me. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that it's going to be terribly useful for me. Unfortunately, because I think that initially seeing it, it's it's very exciting. Because in terms of having a uh, a wide zoom for events and, and weddings, you know, having something that was a little bit faster and, and a little bit better would be really exciting. Yeah. But I don't know. Like I feel like I really need it to to be at least twenty four to fifty. Yeah, yeah, um, that would that would be a dream that would kill the Canon twenty four to seventy in in my eyes. Yeah, and having said that. You know, I just realized after not shooting my 24 to 70 almost ever, except for at events, you know, Mm. like I'm looking at this wedding that I shot and that lens is amazing. The 24 to 70 (laughs) Nikon is is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, like that's the thing that that Sigma has to contend with is Mm -hmm. that like I already have something in my bag that is brilliant yeah, all the way through and it has more reach. Same in the Canon range as well. Right. The, 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 I've complained about the Canon fifties a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Canons that aren't doing great, but the 24 to 70 is by all accounts. Uh, we don't own one, but is, is great. So that's yeah. some stiff competition. I mean, would I prefer to use a prime in any one of the lengths? Absolutely. I would always prefer it, but sometimes it's just not, yeah, sometimes it's the just best option. Convenient. Yeah, it's convenient. Like if you're working in a, somewhere and you have to be fast and have to have lots of options, you need something that that gives that to you. Yeah. And I think the, the both the Nikon Pro and the and the Canon L or whatever, they both meet that criteria very well. So, it's going to be interesting to see what what Sigma does with this and you know how they price it and how it compares because I think that it's um it's a pretty steep steep hill to climb. Yeah. It definitely is. So, uh, do you have any other picks this week? Do you have a thing or is that your pick of the week? Well, no, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I guess that'll be my pick. I don't really know. I mean, I'm, I'm nothing extremely new except for that. I successfully made some four by five portraits. Oh yeah. You showed me the samples. Yeah. And wow. It's the, the, uh, I'm still digesting it. It's you, you said the lens is crap. Um, but you couldn't, you could never tell looking at them. They look really sharp. Well, right. And that, I mean, I think that's all. And um, it depends on how you're comparing that. Because uh, when I originally picked up this camera and looked up the lens on some Google searches, just to try, like get a comparison, there was this list that I found that unfortunately, I don't know where it's at. So I'm not going to be able to put that in the show notes or anything. But in this list, you know, I, I found the lens that I have and it's, it's marked as like a very consumer, it's a Caltar Calumet lens. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like a, a kit lens. It's cheap. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I was expecting nothing great from it. And, you know, I looked at the, uh, the clarity, the depth, the sharpness of these and the color accuracy of these, uh, four by four portraits. And I was just absolutely just stunned because it was way more than I expected. Well, if you don't know where to find show notes, go to stellman.com slash cameras or whatever. And, um, we're going to put them in there so you can take a look. I I was impressed. Yeah. Oh, you know what? One other thing that I'm going to try to do. So it's like all this film talk is not such such a 
a mystery <laughs> is uh, once we get the the new site up, I'm going to dedicate the blog to um, my exploits in film. Oh, that's a good idea. So it'll be a little bit more of a split. Yeah, it's, you know, hopefully I can I can talk about not just shooting and, and scanning, but also a little bit about processing and stuff too. That'd be great. I'd read yeah. it. Yeah, I picked up. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't tell you that either. Is that I picked up um, my new camera? Like, no, 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 uh, no. <laughs> I I bought a um, basically everything that this guy had in his dark room. So he was selling a bunch of tanks and processors. Yeah, you and, did tell me that. Yeah, so I, I got four by five tanks. So I'll, I'll be able to to process my own black and white four by five pictures, which is exciting. Uh, plus uh, tanks for medium format and one thirty five as well. So yeah, Cameron's um, Photo Lab, full service. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't think I'll be doing any thirty-five though. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't make sense. Well, share the results. Yeah, I will we'll be looking for it on your blog. <laughs> Forthcoming. Yeah, it, it might be in a year, but you know, uh, we, we've we've been this patient. So yeah, <laughs> I, I have like a ton of little things that have really impressed me this week. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking I'll maybe just try to talk really fast and <laughs> just touch on <laughs> a few of them. Um, one is unrelated to anything, and it's that Final Fantasy VII Remake is coming out, which was the definitive video game when I was a teenager. And I've been right. waiting for it for 20 years. Um, so that is really exciting to me. I don't know if I'll even end up playing it when it happens, because I might be kind of too afraid to be disappointed, but I can't wait to see it anyway. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I think I'd be too afraid of, of losing all of my productivity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if you play through it quickly, it's like going to be a good 50 hours. So, yeah, so I don't know if that'll happen, but uh, I, I can't wait to watch the videos anyway. And then more camera related is that there's been all the major Adobe updates have come out and mm-hmm. there's a lot of little things that are great. I tried the dehaze filter or um Ooh, slider. Yeah, i haven't tried that how is that yeah, well uh, if you go to my twitter there's a sample there Ooh. and uh, it's great it's it's really smart it um i don't think it's extremely sophisticated basically it's looking for really low contrast regions of the image and adding contrast selectively to them and not adding as much contrast to already contrast areas which you know that's a pretty simple idea but it works great and in the past, I would have done this by using, say, a gradient filter and adding a bit of, you know, mix of clarity and contrast to the from top to bottom of the image or something to try to remove haze. But um, yeah, it's been it's been really effective. I think it's I mean it's a simple, brilliant little addition. That's great. I'm lo- I'm looking at the photo now, and it's uh, I've seen a couple other examples like this, and um, you know, the one thing I keep thinking of is like all of the aerials. That people get, you yeah. know, because sometimes it's not always uh, the optimal time. <laughs> I think the <laughs> yeah. best effect is that there's probably a lot of people that didn't know that they should, like, that they could make that contrast come back, and now that there's a one-touch slider, they will. Right? They wouldn't have tried to think through the ways to, to fix that image, and now they'll just grab that slider and hey, it's a bit better. So it's ah, really interesting. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll, it'll be nice. The more impressive changes were to Premiere. They added a whole new color correction workflow. Um, before, I, I really just had like a cobbled together solution that um, used Film Convert, which I mentioned the other day. But now, all inside of one filter that um, I haven't quite figured out the paradigm yet, but it seems like it's just attached to every clip. You can just start changing the color without attaching a new effect. And then within it, it has sliders like all the basic Lightroom sliders, which now seems crazy that we got by without that. Um, So you can just affect color temperature and exposure, and it does a great job of them and highlights. And yeah, most importantly, that it does it well, because it used to be that you needed to uh, get into your three-wheel color adjusters to, to fix that. And it would just take a lot more time than needed to happen if your white balance was just a little off. If you're matching two shots and one was just set at a thousand Kelvin cooler than the other, now you can just bump the slider and it does a good job of, of bringing it forward. Whereas trying to do that with curves or three wheels, uh, it was just, it was more time consuming and easy to make mistakes. So uh, you can much more simply and quickly get those things corrected. And then uh, the other great thing is that all the other adjustments are built into that same color correction thing. So I was just talking about the basic 
adjustments. But then below that, you've got creative, which lets you add a creative uh, LUT. So, I mean, I've got uh, a pack from... Um, it's called the Impulse series from Vi- uh, from Impulse from Vision Color, and it's a bunch of different film stocks. And then below that, you can turn the intensity up and down. You can add a bit of a fade to it that lifts the blacks. You can sharpen um, just all these things that like you would have to stack a bunch of effects previously are all in what feels like Lightroom sliders now. It's going to be a lot easier then there's also curves color wheels and vignettes all in that same thing so wow i can't tell you how much simpler this makes um basic color correcting like this still isn't going to be the the way that pros do it but it means for quick and dirty stuff um it's a huge step forward and this might be enough to get me out of final cut i was very impressed that's awesome yeah oh wait and i also used uh, the c100 mark ii last week so I have one more thing. I'll just try to be really quick, which is the uh, the Canon's uh, kind of lower range professional video camera. Okay, it's really nice. The quality looked about like a really good DSLR. Like it, it, it's not as good as the Sony's. Like the the well, the FS7. It's definitely not as good as. Um, but it's overpriced. Basically, very easy to work with. Great ergonomics. When you're holding it, I like to imagine that it's a giant medium format because that's kind of what mm-hmm. it looks like. And I just keep imagining I could take stills with it, but uh, but you can't. <laughs> and yeah, but the thing is, it's six thousand dollars. This feels like an amazing three or four thousand dollar camera, and it, everybody else is leapfrogging Canon at this point. The Sony options are just too much better. Um, the new uh, Panasonics, the new uh, there's, there's so much great stuff out there that Canon doesn't have the lead that they think they do, and they need to get a lot more competitive with their pricing. So. Um, I really enjoyed yeah. using it. The screen was awesome. There's a lot of great features, but yeah. And I think that's it. Great. So yeah, thanks for hanging out, Cameron. Yeah, it's good to catch up. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you again next week. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have a, a, a moment to, to break away. Yeah, we'll find one. <laughs> All right. See ya.